Coffee for today's episode of the Morning Spotlight Podcast was provided by Spotlighter B. Evans. Thanks, B. Really appreciate it. And for all you Spotlighters out there, if you want to support the show and keep us caffeinated, go to themorningspotlight.com and click Buy Mike a Coffee. The Morning Spotlight Podcast is sponsored by Fidelity National Title Group, the nation's largest group of title companies and title insurance underwriters that collectively issue more title insurance policies than any other title company in the United States. If you have questions, need a quote, or want to place an order, shoot yours truly, the coolest guy in title insurance, an email, and I'll be happy to help. Check the show notes for my email address. Hey, this is Adam Latham of the Gumbo Bros, and you're listening to the Morning Spotlight with Mike Ham. What's up, everybody? Mike Ham here with another great episode of the Morning Spotlight podcast. We're joined by Adam Lathan. He's the co-founder and chef at the Gumbo Bros. They have locations over in Brooklyn, New York, and Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, this was a phenomenal episode. Adam was a phenomenal guest. We talked about building a business, growing a brand, what makes a good po' boy, what makes a good pot of gumbo. Uh, it was just a really interesting story, a good conversation between the two of us. Can't wait for you guys to listen. So let's hit that music and let's start the show. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you, as always, from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. My guest today is an Alabama native who spent a great deal of his childhood traveling along the Gulf Coast, New Orleans, Louisiana, to visit family, eat delicious food, and soak in the city's unique culture. Starting his culinary journey at a young age, creating the perfect pot of gumbo soon became his obsession, and he spent many hours with his great-grandmother, Nanny, to learn the proper gumbo technique and is still perfecting that craft today. In 2016, the Gumbo Bros opened up its first brick-and-mortar location in Brooklyn and began serving homemade gumbos, proper po'boys, and other Cajun classics. Recently, they've opened up a second location in Nashville, and he's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Today Show, New York Magazine, Grub Street, Eater, and now the Morning Spotlight Podcast. He is Adam Lathan. Adam, welcome to the show. What's up, Mike? What's up, man? That's quite that's quite the intro. It is quite the intro. I had a lot to kind of pull from. Obviously, we're going to get try to get into it all of that. Um, It's all bullshit. <laughs> I love it. So, just for the, the listeners at home, Adam started this episode out with like, "Can I curse? Should I curse? I'm going to try not to curse." Literally, yeah, like the first thing. Yeah, but it no, didn't, I didn't mean, take long. it did not take long. <laughs> but um, no, but I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, we've connected uh, through your PR firm, which is fantastic because I've connected with other great people through that PR firm, mm-hmm. like Carrie, and a bunch of other people over the course of the lifespan of this show. Um, and when she sent me like the list, I was like, yeah, I'll take everybody. And then I started doing my research on everybody. So then obviously I got to gumbo bros and I was like, holy shit, they're in Brooklyn. Like how come I've never been there? I mean, so (laughs) maybe that's, maybe that's either, I don't know if it's bad marketing on your point that you didn't get to a guy like me who clearly loves to eat. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but getting to Brooklyn is not always the easiest thing just to be straight up. You got to go through Secaucus, man. We already talked about that. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Secaucus is the way to go for sure. Um, so can you, can you explain to me? So I find this yeah. very interesting. So you're an Alabama native, you went to LSU. Yeah. So I you do. obviously have like those Southern roots. So I how do. do you guys wind up opening up the first gumbo bros in Brooklyn? Like, how does that, how does that happen? Um, you know, it, it's as simple as well, it's not simple at all. Uh, <laughs> We, I mean, really started the company in New York as, as a means of like, hey, if we wanted to get something that we really wanted uh, from home, we'd have to make it ourselves. And uh, I, I grew up uh, in Mobile, Alabama, which is, again, a very, you know, Cajun Creole centric area. It, it, it's not Louisiana, but it's along the Gulf Coast. And I think people would be surprised that aren't from the region to find like this type of cooking it's not just like central to new orleans or Cajun country in louisiana but along the gulf coast really you're going to find it in pensacola florida mobile Biloxi, and all that and sort of eating along i-10 uh in both directions and even some parts of texas so i grew up eating this food uh my business partner at the time uh based in new york was uh uh, he's from uh alexandria louisiana so he's from you know 
middle of Cajun country. So for us, well, not really Cajun country, but anyway, he, um, so he's a Louisiana native. We actually were roommates at LSU and found ourselves both living in New York. He was in grad school. I moved to New York because I was going to figure it all out there. Uh, you know, kind of one of those classic, like, yeah, yeah whatever, I'll go to New York and move to the most expensive place on the planet and try to start a company and yeah. try to as figure it out. As you do. As, yeah. as you do. And then and, and slip on a banana peel. And next thing you know, you're, you're, you're selling gumbo on a street corner. But uh, <laughs> no, man, we, we, we started the company really as a simple thing in the sense of uh, my partner, Clay Bowler, came home one day and was like, you know, I really want this. I really want gumbo. I really want this. I would always cook. And, um, you know, he, it was as simple as, can we get that here in New York and sort of the light bulb moment happened and we went out and we had a couple of drinks and, you know, cocktail napkins, scribbling down ideas and names and this and that, and what can we do? And at the time he was working at these different food festivals. And it seems like in this time in New York, these food festivals and pop-ups were like really, really popular. And, um, he was working at one of them on a food truck and he was like, you know, I think we can actually make some money. We think, you know, nobody does it why don't we just kind of spitball this idea? So it really started, it was very big trap to start. It was, uh, you know, we started the company out of our apartment, had to rent a commissary kitchen and sort of built the business. And then from there, we kind of built the business from a, a, a true like pop-up markets and stuff like that. We got a little attention. People were happy. Press started reaching out. And, and then we were like, okay, maybe we should go into catering. And then we went into the catering you know, biz and had some pretty prominent uh, catering gigs that, that sort of led to, again, like the momentum building with the company. And then eventually we were like, well, why don't we just take the full leap and see what we can do? And, you know, kind of went around and we were like, nobody's really doing this in New York. And the thing that we would always say is like, in a place like New York City, where there's too much of everything, the fact that you can't get something as simple as a, a really great po' boy and a cup of gumbo just blew our minds. So yeah. that's sort of where it, it all got started. And that's how we really got going in New York. So both of us had moved to New York for different reasons. And then just the opportunity sort of presented itself and we just ran with it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned over the course of that answer that like, you know, obviously, you know, this type of cooking, this style of food is kind mm -hmm. of all along the Gulf coast. And mm -hmm. one thing that I do think that I find that I find interesting is that a lot mm -hmm. of times when you get like, you know, if you go to Texas for barbecue, it's going to be very mm -hmm. specific to that area. If you're going to go to South Carolina, I mean, I'm going to do another barbecue example. It's mm -hmm. going to be very specific to that area. And you have like these regions and pockets of, of cultures of food. And then a lot of times when you go to do and get those in New York, New Jersey, sometimes mm -hmm. it's almost like a bastardized version of yeah. what that true essence of that thing, not all the time, obviously, yeah. but sometimes it is. Um, was that something that you guys had to contend with maybe early on as you started this journey? Cause maybe people's taste buds around here are not the same as they are down there. Cause I never, they didn't really grow up on that kind of stuff. It's the hardest problem. Or it's the biggest problem that we deal with. And it's not necessarily getting, it's getting people to accept the fact that this can be as good, if not better than a lot of their memories from, you know, that time that they had in New Orleans or that grandmother who would make, you know, you know, pour their heart and soul into to a gumbo or a dish or whatever, like getting people to get over the stigma, because frankly, there's been so much bad Cajun food presented outside of, it, it feels like, like the region that we've discussed, like it, it's hard to get people to get over that. So oftentimes what we are dealing with are people walking into us, expecting us to fail. Right. So we can't, there's zero room for error. And it's something we always tell people, uh, and I mean, one of our, our things is always like, we can't make it taste like your grandmother's, but we can, we, we're damn sure going to try. <laughs> and this is how my grandmother made it. And my grandmother is better than your grandmother. So anyway, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. my great, my great, my great grandmother. Um, yeah. no, so, so for us, like, I mean, what we always tell people is like, you know, it's, it's so regional. Like you said, like certain parts of Louisiana, literally parishes apart from one another have different traditions and methods of cooking gumbo in particular, that makes it really, really difficult to mass produce, not necessarily mass produce. Cause like we still make it, everything's made by hand. We don't have a coat packer. I don't buy jar roux. 
Uh, we make our own chicken stock. Like I, like we put all the effort that you're going to find in the stovetop version, but we just have to make it at a much larger scale. So we have to present that to people. And I think it's something that we really worked on in the first year of the restaurant, because basically the first response we would get, especially from Louisiana people, they're the worst customers to start. And then once they realize they're like, oh, shit, these guys actually know what they're talking about. They're actually oh. doing those things that we talk you know, uh, that, that it takes to make a proper gumbo, then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the shield goes down and they want to be your friend. And, and once they figure out that we are legit and that this is really a real gumbo, uh, you know, you can kind of move past that. And then they're the best customers in the world, but they always start off skeptical because like we said so many times, I think you're going to find a lot of chain corporate stuff that has tried to do this has failed because people don't want a chain or, or a corporate gumbo. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. want that. They, they, they don't want, want big know. gumbo. They want big no. gumbo. They want the real deal. You know, they want the real deal. Yeah. yeah. So for us, that's why we just our our secret is we don't, we don't shortcut anything and that's all you can do. Yeah. And, and uh, I wanted to ask about that because I was following mm. Uh, on the Instagram page. Is it at Gumbo mm-hmm. Bros? Can we plug that right now? At Gumbo at v, Bros? At the v, v Gumbo Bros. At the Gumbo Bros. Yeah. The V, I don't know. It depends v. on. The like Ohio Gumbo State, the exactly. Gumbo Bros. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, the Gumbo Bros. Yeah. So I think it was an Instagram post that you guys had put up and it was something where like you, you put up a map and you put up where you get your bread, where you get your mm-hmm. shrimp, where you get when you do those uh, crawfish boils, where you get the crawfish, mm-hmm. where you get all these different things. And I thought that was so interesting because like a lot of times, I mean, you're in New York, there's no shortage mm-hmm. of good bread in New York. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean that's, that's an obvious thing, but it's not the same. And I think that that just shows like an incredible level of attention to detail with what you're doing. And I think that ultimately that's why people would appreciate it. Right. Is that yeah. you really get down and dirty and you're like, Hey, we're going to get our bread from here. We're going to do this. We're going to get all these things mm-hmm. and, and bring them all in and source the ingredients that are what make that style of cooking unique to that area and bring them right here to the biggest city yeah. on the, in the world. You know, I think you have to do it. And for us, that's the one thing I think the, the hardest, or the biggest problem that we had initially was conveying our message, conveying our story without it being like, eh, like obvious right in your face. You know yeah. what I mean? Sometimes a company or a brand wants to just push that so hard. Uh, I think one thing that we tried to do was introduce that map. And that map was an idea uh, by a, a gentleman named Douglas Riccardi. He, he runs this company called Memo Productions in New York City. They're like a restaurant branding firm. And uh, I, I met him through some contacts and friends and and he he actually told me, he was like, I think it'd be a really great idea to show that you're authentic without saying you're authentic. You know what I mean? And and so by doing the map, I think it kind of takes what we always say is it takes the bullets out of their gun before they walk in the door because they're looking for a reason to kind of tear the concept apart because they want to know that it's real. And so often people will fake it. How many times have you been on a, you know, at a random restaurant in the middle of nowhere. And they've got one thing that says shrimp po'boy. And you're like, dude, it's just fried shrimp on bread. It's not the same. You, you just, it's not the same. And the bread, by the way, is the thing. And that is our end all be all. If we can't get Leidenheimer bread, we are in trouble. Because Leidenheimer bread is the best bread. It's the only bread, as far as I'm concerned, that we can really use to make po'boys. Uh, there's a couple of other places in New Orleans that that make really, really great breads uh, for different public shops but the majority of them use Leidenheimer and for us to be able to ship it and get it uh it's crucial to our business and it's the thing that people judge us on when they find out you know they're like oh okay I'll try this so so having those things up front and like conveying that to our customer base has been really really helpful yeah it's we didn't have that for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things too. Like we've talked about, you know, branding and authenticity mm-hmm. and all those different kinds of uh, stuff on this show with people that run restaurants like yourself, with other mm-hmm. people that run podcasts, with the people that run businesses and all those different things. And just telling somebody obviously that like, Hey, we're the real deal. 
nope. Yeah. You know, especially like in New York City, where everybody's BS meters are so like finely tuned. Fine. They they know, like they know that yeah. you're not authentic just because you're telling them. And you know, I mean, like that's that's one of those things that I think is such a great a great point and a great way to show that like mm. this is what you're trying to do. Um, so talk to me more about like you don't necessarily have like uh, traditional culinary training, or do mm. you? I do and I don't. So I. I mean, I, I did not go to culinary school for a proper, like, you know, French culinary or whatever. Right. I went to um, French culinary institute. Well, it, ICC is what it was called. Uh, most people call it FCI uh, from back in the day. But I went there for a business program. And I tried to just, like, audit and take as many classes and go to as many demos as possible. Um, you know, uh, ICC recently, unfortunately, uh, closed its doors after I don't even know how many years they were down in Soho in New York. And I think, uh, you know, culinary schools are having a real issue right now with getting people to go to culinary school. Cause frankly, you don't have to anymore. Right. Uh, uh, you know, because of this wonderful thing that we're talking through right now, there's a lot of things that you can learn and do and not have to go to school for. And that's all fine and good. But, uh, anyway, they, uh, they recently closed, but they used to run this program called uh, culinary entrepreneurship. And when I started the business, I realized I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I, <laughs> I realized pretty quickly that it was like, I remember at the time, my friend James, who was just like a CPA and he's a friend of mine from growing up, he was doing our books for us. And uh, he was like, good God, dude, you don't know what you're doing, but you're actually making, you're actually making money. You're yeah. actually, this is a little business that we can help grow. Long story short, James is now our, uh, CFO and one of the partners here. Uh, so James, James bought in, but yeah. anyway, uh, I, I mean, basically I went to this program to learn as much as possible about the business aspect of owning a restaurant and, and kind of going from, like we talked about, like graduating from pop-up, you know, festival guys to caterers to, to a real restaurant. I was pretty scared and I wasn't sure what to do. So I wanted to learn how to write a business plan. Uh, how to understand the basics to the finance, not a finance guy. I hate that stuff. Uh, that's what James is for. Um, so for us, uh, you know, I, I thought the best thing that we could do is me for me to go to this program. So I went to this program at ICC. And while I was there, I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of world-class chefs that would do demos on a daily basis. Like they have this huge auditorium. And, you know, Jacques Pepin would do a thing or, or Daniel Baloud would, would come down and, and, and speak and show you how to sharpen a knife. You know, like all these things yeah. that you see, and I, I would just go to as many of them as possible. I talked to some of the people there and they let me go to classes and sort of audit, if you will, and really sort of learn and, and, and take a look at that side of things. So, um, so yeah, I, I learned there a great deal about I think the transition for me was to go from sort of a home cook to a professional chef. And, um, you know, that's still in the process of happening because it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a day by day experience and, yeah. and learning how to run a kitchen, but I'd worked in restaurants previously and, and, and cooking is always a passion of mine. I did not think that I would necessarily like be in this position in my life. You know, when I was younger, I, right. I, I always said, I want to own a restaurant. I love restaurants, but it took me, a little bit of time, I think, to figure out what I really wanted to do and try some things out and, and go. And finally, just say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And uh, now that I've done it, I'm never going to do anything else. It's, it's what I do. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And it seems like things are going well, especially when you didn't even know mm -hmm. what you were doing and things seem to be going well. Um, so talk to me also about just from like, like how did, so we, I told you before we even started, like we do real estate here. Was there a reason why mm. you picked Brooklyn as opposed to like maybe Manhattan or one of the other boroughs? Mm. Was there a reason why? Yeah. I didn't have any money. Oh, uh, okay, <laughs> no, I mean, for us, I mean, it seemed like Brooklyn, Brooklyn. I mean, I guess it started the restaurant. We, we got the space in 2015. So I guess at that time, it, Brooklyn was still, booming and, yep. and and you know you've got your williamsburg hipster mecca and then you've got these other parts of, of brooklyn that we were looking around and one thing that i really wanted to focus on was where a lot of other concepts were going towards and they i noticed that they were going towards uh kind of downtown brooklyn carroll gardens stuff like that so for us 
uh, you know, really focusing on what the trends were and what some restaurants that we wanted to emulate where they were going. And it's as simple as that. And a lot of, especially in New York, the most successful restaurants I find are copycats, not necessarily copycats in terms of a, a, you know, a concept, but just following where the, the other, you know, successful restaurants are going. So for us, you know, Manhattan was just insanely expensive and we were looking at our budget. We're trying to think, okay, what can we actually do? So we put down, you know, pen to paper, put together a business plan. And we realized, I mean, the more we looked at it, we liked Brooklyn. And also my whole thing is I want to be where I lived in, I lived in Brooklyn at the time. Right. And I lived very close to the restaurant. I lived a couple blocks from where we wound up going. And I want to be as close to there as possible. And I want to be a part of the community in the neighborhood as well. So I wanted it to be a spot where I could set up shop and, um, you know, and live there because you do live in a restaurant if you own it. Yeah. Right. And so talk to me also about how you, so you expand obviously to mm-hmm. Nashville. Was that the beginning mm-hmm. of this year or did you move yes. to Nashville? Okay. So it was the beginning of this year. You moved to Nashville. Uh, you open up the Nashville location. What, why was Nashville the next spot? Was there a particular reason why? So I'd been coming down to Nashville to visit uh, a really good friend of mine for some time now. And I've been back and forth and there seemed to be this recurring theme of like, by the way, Anytime you meet anyone and you own a restaurant, they're like, dude, you got to open here. They want you to come to, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like everywhere you go. Yeah. Morristown. Like, you you should... want to come to Morristown? Yeah, you should. Dude, come to Morristown. You <laughs> kill it. Yeah. You crush, man. There is no yeah, gumbo man. here. I can There's promise nothing. you that. And they're just like, oh my God, everybody says it. But, but for some reason, this one really resonated with me. And I think honestly, I just got a great feel for the city. And I really just liked coming down here uh, and spending time with friends. And, you know, visiting Nashville. And then eventually I was like, you know, is there really an opportunity and how do we want to handle the next steps for the company? Now, New York is uh, managed well and we have our people there. And for me, I was like, I don't know that I necessarily want to open another spot in New York because I am from the South and officially want to get back South. Uh, you know, my parents are happier. I'm getting closer and closer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for us, you know, I, I saw Southern expansion as something that we should look into and Nashville just made the most sense to me because I felt the most comfortable here and I just like it. So yeah. I moved, I moved here about seven months ago. I still go back to Brooklyn. Um, but for the time being, obviously Nashville is the focus given it's a new restaurant and we just opened at the end of this crazy year that we've had <laughs> yeah. lately, which we could do another podcast on that sometime right. if you want to know a thing or two about how to open a restaurant during a pandemic <laughs> that'd be very a very niche don't do it my yeah. advice don't do it <laughs> don't do it advice. yeah but if it's too late i'm the guy to talk to right uh, yeah so talk <laughs> talk to me about that so also so the next time you're back in brooklyn just tell me because then i'll come then let's go and then you I know love it yeah, that would so be great. So go in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll text you. I'll yeah, shoot it. me a text. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, so uh, talk to me also about that because like, obviously, you know, COVID was a thing and obviously mm-hmm. New York, New Jersey area at the very beginning, like March, April, May just got absolutely annihilated and everything was mm-hmm. shut down. And obviously, you know, both places took a long time to actually open back up or, I mean, mm-hmm. not even just like you know, to full capacity, outdoor dining was a thing, all these different things. So talk to me about like all that you're in the process of opening the Nashville restaurant. Cause I'm sure Mm. it wasn't like, Hey, we moved to Nashville, boom, lights are on. Right. So you're trying to do that. You're trying to probably keep this other, your first brick, your first brick and mortar restaurant afloat. I would imagine. Talk to me about Mm. the types of hoops that you had to try to jump through to make sure that you knew that that restaurant was getting out the other end of that year and a half or so. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is like having proper help and management and people who are are there to help, are there to help you, frankly. And that we found that in, in Clay in New York, in James, as he's taken over the finances of the company, Rusty Jordan is our operations manager, Uh, having the people that you're comfortable with to to continue to take the next steps. Because throughout the process, we were like, do we want to keep doing this? Do we want to keep doing this? Does this make sense? Because it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, opening a restaurant in another location, opening a restaurant is hard. Opening in another city is really hard. Opening in another time zone 
doesn't help. Yep. And then like, like you could just list off all these things and then COVID hits. And then, cause initially we were looking into Nashville before COVID and sure. we had a deal sort of set to the location that we're in right now. And um, I got to give a lot of credit to our landlords here in Nashville who stuck with us and said, look, we want y'all to be here. You know, we want you to be successful. We want you in our neighborhood. Uh, that's something you don't hear a lot from landlords, especially New York. So, uh, I mean, for us, it, it was just so many different people kind of helping and coming together to get us to continue uh, the expansion plan of the company. But I mean, we were shut down in New York for almost two months when COVID hit. We went from, uh, I, I want to say like the Friday before we closed, having like our busiest Friday in the history of the company to being closed on Tuesday, I think. It was yeah. like that St. Pa- Patrick's Day. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day weekend. But the yeah. day after, yeah. like that weekend we were slammed. Everybody's like, hey man, we're working from home for a week or two. It's kind of crazy, right? So, you know, it's uh, it's 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 just been nuts in terms of, I don't know. I look back on it and I'm like, I can't believe we've, we've actually done this in yeah. the amount of time that we've done it and uh, that things have continued to go in that direction. So, I mean, opening was stressful, but I, I think that we're really, I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a great team and it's not just me and you can't emphasize that enough. And that's not me trying to rah, rah or, or bullshit anyone. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't have proper management, you don't have people that you can lean on, you can't do it yourself. Right. So uh, that's for us. And for me, I guess, as an owner trying to delegate and, and learning to delegate and be a better manager and operator and not just like an owner like a dictator as to we do this this way this way this way yeah. like for me like trying to get people in here uh and, and continuing to expand our, our our management has been my my biggest focus in the last year because you can't do it all yourself um it's sort of i guess the long-winded answer but uh, i mean man it, it was it's, it's definitely been a crazy year and I just can't thank. There's so many people that you can thank. I, I can't believe it. I'm happy like every day now. Yeah. Like there was a time where I woke up and I was like, I think I lost everything. Like yeah. everything. Scary. Like really, really hard to, you know, talk to my wife and try to be calm. But at the same time, you know, firing your entire staff again, a day or two after having such a busy time, we, we were coming off our busiest month because we came off it was February. It was Mardi Gras. We had all this press and we were just blowing up and we were putting together record sales and then it just stopped. And uh, that's something that I've learned to not take for granted. So every day I get to come to work, I'm just super happy because I I, I really thought a little over a year ago that I lost everything. But uh, people kept pushing us and saying, you should do it. And uh, we got really lucky in a lot of cases. And then other times I like to think that we were prepared and we did the right thing throughout the process. So yeah. that's how you expand, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. I don't, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The long, the short answer is you don't know. So I, yeah, perfect answer. No, but I think that's a, that's a great, uh, a great thing because obviously, you know, mm-hmm. like here in my town, we, we have like a nice bustling downtown. We had restaurants close. We had yeah. a couple open also, which I, you know, they probably should have talked to you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple close and they were like really good restaurants and, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like, it sucks because mm-hmm. you, you know, like you're like, you're, a living example of that. I mean, it, you put mm. all this time, effort, money, all this stuff into this thing. And then something happens that is just so beyond your control that like, now what do you do? You know, like you're just, you feel helpless, like twisting in the wind to a certain degree. Um, yeah. I've gotten really, I've gotten better at just accepting the fact that I can't control what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, like there's that, like, I mean, I used to have that dream, like before opening and I'm all nervous. We're trying to get the staff together. Like there is that dream, that recurring, like, holy shit nightmare that you have. And it's like, you open the door and nobody shows up. Yeah. And it's, that that's going to be there. And it's always going to be there. And I want to open more restaurants and I want to expand and I want to do other things, not just gumbo bros. Like that's always going to be there. But at the same time, I don't know. After last year, I guess, my takeaway from everything is just enjoy yourself and, and, and don't take, don't take days. Like, you know, if you have a bad day of sales, like it's not, a, it's not a bad. Day. Like I've had bad days, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah. it's like, if we can get through that, we can get through anything. And yeah. it's sort of, I've lost a lot of the fear 
I think, of opening a business and operating a business. Because what are you going to do? What are you going to take it away from me? You yeah. know, like, right. what, what, what are you going to shut my doors, maybe fire everybody? I've already done that. Yeah. It was awful. So, and, you know, knock on wood, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Yeah. If it does, yeah. I don't Whereas, know. Man. I don't have like, any wood around I'm me. Like, Shit, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. If it happens again. Thing, and it's like, yeah. I've said it to everyone who's asked me about, you know, the process during COVID. I'm like, how do you feel sorry for yourself when the entire world is having the same problem? You know yeah. what I mean? Right. So it's as simple as what are you going to do? Yeah. Right. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, exactly. So, you just got to keep showing yeah. up, doing your thing and controlling what you can control. That's, yeah, that's all just, it is. Just trying and trying to take care of your people the best way you can. And uh, we try to do our best throughout the process. And then we reopen. We open with a bang. And our community in Brooklyn really kind of, you know, huddled around us and, and really helped us limp through last year. And now we're open again, like full time, which is yeah. crazy. So, uh, it's, it's, it's been a wild, wild ride. But awesome. We've l- learned a lot from it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned also during that answer about mm-hmm. like, uh, coming off a, of, you know, Mardi Gras, obviously into that, you were getting a lot of press. So that was one of the things that I mm-hmm. did want to ask about. Um, mm-hmm. cause I like, talked about like thinking of the name, the gumbo bros, thinking of the branding, mm-hmm. thinking of all these different things and then being out front on like mm. all these different publications that I mentioned before, then obviously this incredibly successful podcast. I mean, you're huge, huge, huge. <laughs> so you are out in front of it, like doing mm. it, like doing more, maybe not more than other people do, but doing stuff like beyond just, you know, tweaking the gumbo recipe to get it like just right. Finally, you know, so mm. talk to me about the importance of the branding side and then being, you know, in front of the camera essentially and talking yeah. about the, that story and when, how you got yourself here. I mean, it's massive because, I mean, so much of our food is a story. And I think that all great restaurants are run that way. You know what I mean? Like, like, and great brands for that matter, not necessarily just restaurants. But I mean, if you have a good product, that's fine. It's great. A lot of people can do a lot of things individually very well. But if yeah. there's no story to it, there, there's nothing. It's just another thing. There's a difference in, hey, that was a really good sandwich versus wow, look what these guys did. You know yeah. what I mean? And the sandwich was good. So like, you just have to combine those things and have to continue to push. And like, for us, I mean, we, we, we're proud of what we do. So why wouldn't we share it with the world? We want people to come in. Uh, and, and we actually think we have a cool story to tell. I mean, I met James in the sixth grade. He invited me to have a lunch with him on my first day at our new school. And now he's the CFO of the company. Yeah. Clay was my, uh, you know, college roommate who we would just get in drunken shenanigans and fights together <laughs> and stuff, you know, like, yeah. like we, we, we've taken so much of our past experience and we really are like a family and, and have grown a little business. And on top of that, besides from us, like we love our staff, like our, like our staff keeps us going and our staff is family to us. And we do, so much we feel like that is behind the scenes for for you know them and for our community and for just trying to be a good company and not just try to make money on something because i've said it before like dude if you want to make money don't open a restaurant this is not the way to financial freedom uh and jet setting you know and anybody who acts like it is is completely full of shit yeah uh you do it because you love it and you have to have passion for it so I mean, who doesn't want to talk and be open about their passion? Right. Exactly. That's why I do this because I'm passionate exactly. about this and we talk about it all the time because literally that's the whole point of a podcast is you talk about it. <laughs> um, but is it, has it, is it been, uh, did you have a, like a clear plan? Like when you start putting like the website together, mm-hmm. when you start putting the Instagram pages together, because we mm-hmm. talk, we have a lot mm-hmm. of entrepreneurs on this show. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show and a lot of mm-hmm. different entrepreneurs in a lot of different walks of life or different industries mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Was there like a clear plan? Like, Hey, this is going to, how, this is how we're going to do this. Or was it more of just kind of a learning on the fly type thing? I think I've always had like sort of these like pipe dreams about what we could do with the business. But I think if you had told me that we'd be where we are, you know, right after starting the company, I'd tell you you're out of your mind. Yeah. Cause we did, we did think initially that it was going to be like a part-time thing. Like we had jobs, like we, this was a side hustle. I was, I was, I was a PA on a, I was like a production assistant, which is the worst job on the planet in like film 
for movies and TV shows. Yeah. And everybody thinks that's so cool, but really everybody just yells at you and tells you to get coffee. You professionally just walk around shushing people on set. So, I, I mean, we did that. I walked dogs. I bartended. I did all kinds of stuff just trying to get it going because I thought this was a part-time thing. So for us to, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is sort of all of us sticking with it and sort of continuing to push to get a little bit bigger, get a little bit more well-known to expand and, and to give people good food. So it's been, um, I can't believe we're still doing it, to be honest, sometimes. Yeah. If I had known, I didn't know that I would be referred to as a gumbo bro the rest of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like right. I've like been, I've been places and it's like, hey, you're the gumbo guy. And I'm like, oh God. Names Adam. <laughs> it's 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 so bizarre, but um, you know what? People resonate with the brand, and, and they love they love the food. And some people hate the food. They'll tell you, you know, I don't care. It just is what it is, man. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I love that. I like I like I like my job, and, and every day is a good day as of late. So yeah, what are you gonna no, do? that's good. Yeah, I mean, if you like what you do, then whatever. Everybody mm-hmm. else can go scratch. So um. It's, <laughs> So talk to me also, you mentioned uh, in an earlier answer about like the community aspect. You talked about how like when you were in Brooklyn, you were living in Brooklyn, the restaurant was in mm. Brooklyn. Now you're living in Nashville, the new restaurants mm. in Nashville. Talk to me about the importance of, of community outreach and this type of stuff that mm. you guys do to, because I think that that is one of the things that I think that, um, you know, maybe like local restaurants, which is what I feel mm. like, you know, you guys are, you know, granted mm. you have two locations, but you the story and the authentic, the authenticity of that restaurant makes mm. it basically a local restaurant. So talk to me about the importance of being a part of the community and t- the, uh, some of the things that you guys do to do that. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, just I, one thing I was kind of blown away with was just how many people in Nashville reached out to us. And also this is a tough time. Like this is a really tough time for everyone. And everyone has just frankly been going through it lately with COVID with restrictions i mean we opened and we we're still at 50 percent yeah so a lot of restaurants owners chef practically every one of them in town reached out to us at some point and it was like hey welcome we hope you guys kick ass hope everything's great there's anything i can ever do and um that was something that i didn't really experience in new york um and that's not because i think new york is you know uh, you know full of people who don't care about you it, it was something like it, it's, it's a different a vibe. Big, it's a, just a it's different, such a vibe. different, it's, it's a different world. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a city, it's a different planet compared to a city like Nashville. So like getting in touch with all of those individuals and, and all those different companies has been so great. And then for us, like one thing that we really like to do is, is not just try to do things when we do any type of like philanthropic, uh, um, you know, fundraiser or, or giveaway or whatever it may be, or we do tailgates for saints games and stuff like that. Like one thing we like to do is try to get, give back to our home. Uh, so for us, new Orleans, uh, we we've done a lot of different charities back in new Orleans around the Gulf coast, around Louisiana and Alabama is something that we like to focus on. And then if something comes up local that we can help with, we'll definitely do that. I mean, it's for us so important to continue to, get in touch with the community and, and be a part of it. So like we're starting a pint of the month here next month here where we're going to take like a different charity every month. And, you know, for every pint of beer we sell, we donate a dollar. Yeah. Like it, it, it's just, just things like that to touch base and become part of a community. I think are really important to a business. And, uh, and on top of that, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. And I think that's a great answer. So um, my next, I have a couple more questions, then we'll get into our closing segment and then we'll wrap it up. So, um, all right, people. So like if I walk away from this recording or somebody walks away from this episode and can't immediately get to either Brooklyn or Nashville, because we have people that listen in other parts of the country and they're mm-hmm. like, what the hell? I'm going to go make a pot of gumbo and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go find a, re- a recipe on, you know, allrecipes.com. No, mm-hmm. that's not a plug. They're not a sponsor of the show, but we just said it. <laughs> um, but uh, what, like, what are some tips maybe? Not the full, mm-hmm. you don't have to give me the, the recipe or any like insider secrets, but uh, what, what are some tips? Like what are like the most common mistakes people make when they're trying to make a good gumbo? I think... There's all these rules and weird sort of like stigmas to making a gumbo that like some regions like we talked about are super like, I mean, very hardcore about. Personally, I like Cajun style gumbo. I do not like tomatoes in my gumbo. I think tomatoes and gumbo are weird. Uh, I don't like it. 
uh, I don't put tomatoes in my gumbo. We did yeah. initially when we first opened or one of our first pop-ups and I eventually killed that. I was like, I don't like that. You know, and other people liked it, but it was just like, I don't know. It, just, it doesn't make sense to me. So I'm a no tomato guy. I think dark roux in okra is a must, absolute must. Uh, some people, you know, there are three main thickening agents in a good gumbo. You've got filet powder, you've got a roux, and you've got uh, okra. What I always tell people is you don't want to mix too much of those. Most people say you do two out of three and not all three. I've used three before. It's okay to break rules a little bit. And I think the most important thing in making a gumbo is doing whatever you want. If you really like tomatoes, put tomatoes in there. Yeah. Uh, but there, there, there's all these crazy rules because it's such a weird dish and that there is not one way to make it. There is no definitive way to make a good gumbo. It, it's just what you have available. And it's sort of, you know, the, the, you know, the genesis of the dish is like, what the hell do we have? Yeah. It's poor people food. You know what I mean? It's putting everything in a pot and making it work. So for us, uh, I always like to tell people like, make it the way that you want to make it with what you have available. And, and then you can always tweak it and you can always have more fun with it. But, but if it's me, I wouldn't put tomatoes on it. That's just <laughs> the one key takeaway. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my thing. No tomatoes. Don't put that's tomatoes in it. Tomatoes are weird. No yeah. Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. All right. So uh, one of the things that we had talked about uh, prior to getting on here, I asked if there's any of the stuff that you wanted to touch on. Um, and we talked about a couple of things. We're going to get into that now. But that is one of the questions that I always ask, particularly entrepreneurs, about goals that they have you know, over mm-hmm. the next year, two years, whatever it is. Um, so what are some, some things that you're hoping to accomplish with Gumbo Bros in the mm-hmm. foreseeable future? I, want, I would like to get this restaurant in Nashville to be a little bit more uh, uh, you know, self-sufficient so that I can get more time in Brooklyn. I really do want to split time and get back and forth a little bit more. Um, I really want for us to continue to hone in our staff and our management to get to that goal. So for me, I mean, I, I sort of take things week at a time and it's really simple. Uh, it, it sounds like such a, you know, you know, business Ted talk bullshit to one week at a time. You know what I mean? But it's like, right. I day really by day. Think- I really do. I, I, I really try to take things day by day because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's sort of the great thing about owning a restaurant, if you're into that sort of thing, is the puzzle that is every single day. Yeah. It, is an, it, it, is a, it can be really frustrating at times, the type of just absolute uh, you know, insanity that you're dealing with. And because you've got so many different people. You've got so many personalities. You've got so many different positions and every one of them is important. Trying to get everything lined up in the right space and then it all just crashing. And then the next day you got to just do it again. Yeah. So it's for me, I think my end goal is to, is to try to, to get this place as, as uh, finely tuned as possible in the next year before trying to figure out what is the next step, whether that be another restaurant, another concept, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to be ready for any of that, you know, in the next year. So uh, for me, focus on this. Try to not take it for granted. Uh, try to really teach the staff uh, what we do and how we do it, and you know, we'll see where things go down the line. Right. What about brunch? You guys brunch. do brunch? Oh, I'm doing brunch. Oh, uh, you do brunch. We're going to do brunch soon. We're 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 on the menu for some time now. And uh, I think we're going to start the brunch here in the fall, hopefully uh, late August, early September. Uh, We're going to have a pretty great brunch menu set up, maybe even a little jazz brunch, a little New Orleans theme and have some fun with it. Uh, Yeah, so I'm really excited about having a little brunch menu. Uh, We've got a very, very talented bar staff who's putting together some cocktails and working on some stuff right now. And uh, I think it's going to come out really well and it's going to be delicious. Very cool. Very cool. And then uh, you mentioned also, uh, you know, Saints games, LSU games. Talk to me about uh, how important that is in your, you know, process of your your day-by-day process leading into football season coming up. Totally. I mean, we want to be the place for Saints fans in both Nashville and New York. Uh, New York, we don't have that much room. I I can tell you we always have a good time. It's always really nice and rowdy and the Gumbo Bros in Brooklyn for, for any type of Saints game. But uh, uh, down here, we're hoping to bring that same vibe. 
uh, the Saints are kind of passion of mine, a very frustrating passion as of late, but it's okay. Yeah. I've got faith. Uh, I think we're going to have a great team this year, but what I love about Saints games and LSU games for that matter is so many people come in and get to know them. And it's like my time to like sit on the other side of the bar and have a drink and get to know my customers. And yeah. I've gotten that. I've gotten that connection with a lot of people in New York. I haven't been down here for football season yet. So I'm looking forward to having it here in Nashville. I mean, it's so cool when you're sitting in your restaurant and you see all these people going out that are, are super, you know, just excited to be here and also excited to be around people that are obviously have some connection to the region, yeah. whether they're from there or spent time there or with school there or whatever. I mean, like I've seen people walk into the restaurant and see somebody from their high school and be like, Hey man, what's up? And you know, and it's, and it's like, that's, that's the connection. And that's the moments where you you kind of, it sounds cheesy, but it's like, that's kind of why you do it is the community and and that feel and that vibe. So uh, having that for football is just, it's, it's so much fun. It's it's just great. It's a good way for us just to get to know our, our customers and let them know how appreciated they are. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. And it goes back to, like you said, what we were saying before with the community aspect of it, with the culture mm-hmm. aspect of it, with the stories that you get out of that, because it's like the mm-hmm. two way street, because you're making yeah. the food, somebody's eating the food and everybody has like this dis- different kind of connection to that, which helps them all kind of come back home, which I just think is very cool. I feel like saints games in New York in particular really brought us closer to the community. Yeah. Like there's some very specific examples without naming names of, of folks that we got to know and like we got to see like their children grow up over yep. the years because they bring them in for saints games you know what i mean like like that that's when it takes you from hey yeah i eat at that place i love that restaurant because yeah. they get to know they get to know us and we get to know them and if we didn't have those games you know not, i mean not just like the football or the sporting yeah. you know the, the camaraderie of that or whatever you want to call it it's like you get to know people and that's how you connect with customers. So we're, we're hoping that we can definitely have that same vibe here. And I think it's going to be great to have some folks. Then. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. Like if we have a customer like that and they're like talking about something to, you know, whoever, like their buddy and they're like, you mm-hmm. gotta go to gumbo bros. Like people yeah. are, I think people are more uh, willing to go to something where they get a good feedback from like a, a friend like that than actually being like, here's our Instagram page. Hopefully you come, you know, stuff like that. So I think that that yeah. is like a next level type. Once you ensconce yourself in that community, it's just like, it just starts rolling. Right. They, it, it's the ultimate connection. And it's like, when they get to know you, like we talked about, like, again, you know, any, any restaurant can sell good food, but to not just sell a good story, but to show the good story and actually yeah. be a part of their lives and connect with people. That's what people want. Right. And um, I think, I think that's how we've been as fortunate as we have been with this business is that we've done, we've tried really hard to connect our customers. Yeah. No, I love it. I think the whole thing is great. Uh, this episode so far has been great, but we are getting into the most important part, the most challenging question of this entire episode. We're getting into our clothing segment, which we call under the spotlight. So Mike Ham and Adam Lathan have been talking for, I don't know, 45 minutes, somewhere around there. Um, I lost track of time because I always lose track of time. Uh, but what would be one thing that you would want the spotlighters to walk away from this episode with? So you are under the spotlight. That I care, you know, that, that, uh, that I care about what I'm doing and, uh, that this job and this company and our employees and our customers just mean, mean a lot to me that, that I care. Our company motto is give a damn. And, uh, that's what we ask out of our employees, because if you don't have purpose, you're just kind of wasting time in my opinion. So that's, I guess it's cheesy though. Like it's so cheesy, but it's true. But yeah, I just care. Yeah. You know what? It's one of those ones where like every time, so we've done this, at the time mm. of this recording, we have posted 90 episodes. I think yours is going to wind up being like 107 or something mm. like that. Every single time someone says, this is really cheesy or this is really corny. <laughs> those are usually some of the best ones. I mean, like, you know, honestly, like this is, we, we saw over the course of this episode, how much you care, both about the yeah. community, both about the food, both about, you know, making sure that it has an authentic story, getting the ingredients from all over, you know, different parts of the South and all these different things. It shows how much you care. And, you know, I think that that's a key takeaway. So anybody that's running a business, whether it's a restaurant or otherwise, it has to care, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's no, there's really no way around it. So I, I really appreciate that. And it was not cheesy. So we'll make sure. Thank that you. Oh, thank you. That. It makes me feel better. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's the truth. man. So absolutely. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah. Let's, let's hit him with the links before I let you go. So uh, where can people go to get more gumbo bros outside of the obvious brick and mortar locations? Cool. So we are working on nationwide shipping. So hopefully that'll happen at some point in the next six months, but uh, you can go to www.thegumbobros.com. Also, our Instagram handle, Twitter, I don't even think we use Twitter, uh, is at The Gumbo Bros. Uh, we've got Facebook for both locations. We also have, uh, uh, I have my personal Instagram is at Adam Lathan. Uh, it's mostly pictures of my wife and dog and me making smart ass comments about things. So it's not nearly as like culinary focused as people would expect from a chef. But, uh, but yeah, you can always follow there for for a good time hopefully uh and and yeah and we are you know always looking to get in touch with people we have people email us all the time do you ever want help with a recipe you want to make a comment and to tell me that tomatoes should be in gumbo you can always email us info at the gumbo bros.com uh we really uh love connecting with people so awesome that's how to do it Awesome. Love it. Yeah. I'll start sending emails like tomatoes for the win, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'll put my email address, the morning spotlight at gmail.com and the website, the morning spotlight.com in the show notes as well. Obviously all of Adam's uh, links that he just mentioned will be in there. So if you do want to check them out, whether it's just through social media or actually go and eat there, please do so. Uh, I will be going there in a couple of weeks when Adam texts me that he's there and we're going to go hang out and drink beer and eat gumbo. Cause I don't think I've ever really had like a proper gumbo before. I'm going to show you the way, man. Don't worry okay, about it. cool. I love it. I love it. Uh, thank you again, Adam. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we were able to get, uh, get this done. So, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Seriously, Mike, Mike, awesome time. Really appreciate everything. And uh, hopefully it was a good one. Awesome. No, this is a great one. Not just a good one, a great one. And the spotlighters, thank you, thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.